0: Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. So I have already started crying before we even started the, today's episode because I have Jen and John with me today. And if you have not heard the first part of Jen's story, please go back and listen to last week where she talks about the abuse that she endured during her marriage and the divorce and also the fact that she's now dating her ex-husband who is on the podcast with us today. So welcome, Jen.
1: Hello, thanks for having me.
0: Like I said last week, I know John and I know his family, and I've known him longer than I've known Jen, and so this is really emotional for me to see what looks like could be a hopeful story. And John, so you know, I told everyone that I do not want to set you up on this pedestal, that you're the model recovering addict. I don't want people to listen to this podcast in that way. I would like them to listen to someone who is working through recovery, hoping to reunite his family, but there's things you don't know that you don't know yet, right? Things that we all don't know at this point.
1: Absolutely. It's a process and I'm Trying my best, but there's definitely stumbles and it's certainly not the end of the road for sure.
0: (laughs) Right. Let's talk about when you were married. Did you realize that your behaviors were abusive to Jen?
1: I had a hard time while we were married putting the term abuse on it. I rationalized everything I was doing to her. I knew that what I was doing wasn't right but I would never allow myself to admit fully what was actually happening. Everything I did was on purpose, but I kept downplaying it to myself, and it allowed me to continue doing what I was doing.
0: When you say everything you did was on purpose, do you mean that it was like a calculated action?
1: Yeah, well, I don't know about calculated, but it wasn't like, I was inadvertently doing things. I wanted to get something. And so I would do these things. For instance, one of the things I used to do was we have five kids together. We'd be at family gatherings or we'd be at people's houses. And when it was getting close to time to go, I would make sure that she was busy doing something else and I would get all the kids and we'd all go get in the car and then wait for her. I used that to make it look like we were always waiting on Jen. You know, she was putting herself before us and I had to do everything with our children. And that was not on accident. That was something that I kind of knew what was going on, but it was really easy to play it off as something that was not on purpose.
0: Yeah, like that you were
1: helping out. Absolutely. I I look like the good guy.
0: We have an infographic coming out very soon about what abuse is, and one of the things that it says on that infographic is that the behaviors are purposeful. And when I say calculated, I don't necessarily mean that you like sit around scheming like Mr. Burns, but I mean that you're expecting a result from it. So I'm going to lie about my porn use, for example, because the result is then she won't be mad or I won't look like the bad guy or, you know, whatever it is, not realizing that that lie in and of itself is abusive. So let's talk about the porn use. When did you begin viewing porn? I'm guessing it was before you met Jen.
1: It was. It was as a teenager. I have memories of doing it. It really became a problem when I was in high school. That was probably twenty-two or twenty-three years ago. And it got worse and worse over time. And it got to the point where it was multiple times a week at least, oftentimes multiple times per day. I was able to rationalize even my porn use. (laughs) I mean, there was so many levels of this abuse that was going on. The stuff that I chose to expose myself to, I could rationalize away and say, This maybe isn't even pornography. I was deep in it, and it has held me trapped ever since I was a teenager.
0: I knew you back then. Thinking about that, how did you justify to yourself your actions and behaviors that were secret that nobody knew about with your public church image?
1: Jeez. I don't know that I could completely. I knew that there was this dark side, and I'd always think to myself, oh, if only you knew. I think that was why I was rationalizing it as maybe not even being porn. To, there were a few times where I Googled, is this actually pornography? Like, what is the definition of pornography? And I found some where I could rationalize what I was doing and be like, okay, well, this isn't that bad. And the masturbation, you know, that's something that every guy does. So I really just downplayed what I was actually doing. And then I would abuse Jen and I would tear her down and get her into this corner and then turn it back onto myself where I could play the victim mode for what was happening in our marriage. And then I had an excuse. I was going to this porn that I could then rationalize as not even being porn. So it was this like big old world that I just built up in my head. And it really kept me trapped for a really, really long time. mm mm-hmm.
0: So you know me, I'm like, we're not best friends or anything. But we we grew up in proximity to each other. I don't want to say anything more than that as to give your identity away or my identity away. Saying that, I think that you can imagine how I would be a very bad victim, how my ex would try to do those things like turn it back on me, and I would just end up fighting him all the time. With Jen, she ended up being a very good victim, right? She learned that if you yelled and screamed at her, that she was like, oh, okay, I'm going to stop. Were you actually conscious of that? I'm very curious. Like, were you actually conscious of how to wield anger as a tool of power and control?
1: Yeah, I learned that I am very good at manipulating. I'm very good at arguing in a very condescending manner. I feel like I'm a smart guy and I can argue in a way that can make the other person feel terrible about themselves and make myself feel really good. And I use that a lot on her. It would hurt her. And looking back, that happened a lot where I would make her feel like she, well, I guess she should speak to how it made her feel. But I, in my view, it, it trapped her in this space where she Didn't know her worth because she listened to everything I was saying to her. How do you feel about that now? Well, it's not fun to think about. I think I'm at a point right now where I used to be afraid of the conversations we would have. When she would want to talk, I would get very, very anxious because I was waiting for what holes she was going to poke in everything that I had told her and everything that had happened. It's still hard to have the conversations, but. It's turned from dreading them to being a little curious and wanting to know what it really did to her. And it's hard. I feel very remorseful about it, and I'm just trying to do everything I can to undo as much as it's possible to undo abuse. And I know that that's not a road that really has an ending, but that's what I'm here for, is just trying to do what I can to show her how special she really is and try to undo that.
0: Yeah. What role has your relationship with God played in this process?
1: Well, he's only played a role in the last little while. I went through a phase where I stopped going to church. I became very angry with priesthood authority and blamed the church for a lot of my problems that I had brought into my own life. but. I have learned recently that surrender is a very real thing, and it is the tool that gets me through times where I feel like I want to get sucked back into pornography. I feel like I have gained a different appreciation for what Christ can really be there for. I used to have a view of the atonement as you go and repent, and it just kind of magically takes care of it. I now view him as someone who can be there when no one else can be there because no one else can fix the problems that I've made for myself. Only he can. And only through him am I to the point where I'm at, where I feel like I'm actually changing as a person. Mm -hmm.
0: So your behaviors now to make restitution, can you now see that as an active act toward recovery, but not Post recovery. Do you know what I'm saying? So, from my viewpoint, I see a lot of abusive men or addicts who don't ever utilize restitution as a means or a tool for recovery. And they don't realize that without it, they can't recover. So they might say, yes, I did that in the past. They haven't made any type of restitution for it. They haven't told the truth about it. They haven't faced it head on. They haven't really actually made restitution. And they think that they can recover without it. Can you talk about that for a little bit?
1: So my situation might be different from others where I feel like because of the person Jen is, she's kind of made the restitution easier on me. She's just fantastic. I've been reading the book, He to Deliver Me from Bondage. She talks about being healed from the inside out versus from the outside in. And I feel like that's part of it. You know, you can stop looking at pornography. You can white knuckle it or whatever people like to call it. But the only way that I have found to really feel like I am changing from the inside out is to really Stand up for what I've done and accept that this is the reality and do something about it. I can't fix it. I can't undo it. You know, I like to use the word undo because that's, you know, everyone hopes that there's no consequences or anything for their actions. But for me, I've found that my recovery has gone hand in hand with being willing to truly accept what happened in the past and stand there with Jen as she was trying to go through the emotions of everything that I had done.
0: How has your view of your children changed from when you were acting out and being abusive to now where you're actively working on recovery?
1: I don't know that I have a good answer for that one. Jen, you can correct me if you feel like my view is wrong here. I rely on her a lot for memories and things because my view of the past is so distorted and we've had a number of conversations where i've told her how i remembered it and then she'd be like okay well here's kind of what really happened and then we let it sit and kind of go over it again because i was so deep in this stuff that i just have these memories baked up in my head but i always was a good dad i thought i thought that was kind of my saving grace i would spend time with them I always had a short temper while I was looking at the pornography, and that's still something I struggle with even as I'm working on recovery, and hopefully as I'm further along the path that it's better. I feel like it is a little better than it was. I guess one thing that is different is I genuinely want to put them before me at times. I genuinely want to put Jen before me at times before I would do it because I would get something out of it. Either, oh, I'm going to take the kids to dinner when I really wanted to go to dinner or or that sort of thing or make me look good in front of everyone else. That maybe is a little bit different from before, but it's not as drastic as the relationship with Jen.
0: So maybe like internally, it looks a bit different for you, but externally, it looks kind of similar is what you're saying.
1: Yes.
2: What do you think, Jen? I think that that's a pr- pretty good Analysis. I feel like before a little bit, the kids were used in order to manipulate me, but he was always a fairly good dad. He may have been a little more absent at times, like not as attentive. I will say though, now as he works on this and stuff, he is an excellent dad. He's very attentive and he is very considerate of his kids. Is his temper reducing? Yes.
0: Definitely. I don't want to throw your dad under the bus here, John, but I do know that he had quite a temper as well. So that's also like familial, right? So you're also just learning new ways of interacting, right?
1: Right. Growing up in my household, he was a member of bishoprics and, and that sort of thing. And I always felt like my family growing up, it was the outside in type of mentality where we all sat in the row in church and we all were nice and quiet. We'd always get comments on, oh, all those kids you have, they're so quiet and so well-behaved. But inside the house, a lot of us lived in fear. And I remember growing up and the garage door would open at 5.30 and my stomach would go in knots because I didn't know what was going to happen next. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: This is just a totally random story that I want to tell just because I feel like telling it. All of your family's very small, right? They're all like very small in stature. They're they're small and they're short. And my family's bigger, and I remember going to your house for dinner one night and I thought that the portion that your mom had put on the table for all of us was for me. <laughs> thank you. And I like sat it and I was just about to start eating out of the bowl. And it was macaroni and tomato sauce. And I was like, Oh, good. And they were like, Well, will you pass it? And I was like, What do you mean? I thought the whole entire bowl was for me. Is that crazy?
1: That is hilarious.
0: (laughs) Well, I am really interested in how this plays out. And I know that restitution is part of the recovery process. You cannot recover without it. So your restitution, frankly, will be the rest of your life right? You will be making restitution for the harm that you've caused for the rest of your life. And there will come a point where I believe, from my perspective, the atonement will be able to make up for that. And so there'll be a time where your kids will be healed, where Jen will be healed, and you will be healed if you continue on this path. And that healing will not have occurred through your actions, but through Christ, but without your actions, they couldn't,
1: you know, I don't go to the women's groups and hear that side of it. I know from the men's side, I see how other men have tried to make restitution. I guess I don't have a a good response for it. I, I do agree that restitution is a lifetime. I literally destroyed the last 14, 15 years of her life. And how do you make that up? You don't, but I can be here. And try to be the person that she's deserved from the beginning. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, from our perspective, like, for example, with my ex, many addicts or many abusive men, they say they attempted to do restitution, but they actually didn't at all. Like, my ex is dating someone new, and I actually spoke with her. She's super nice. I really like her. And she told me that he tried and tried and tried and did everything he could to save the marriage after he was arrested, when I know. that he did zero so from the men's groups john as you go it is helpful to know that a lot of the stuff that you're hearing may or may not be true so if they say well i tried and tried and tried and she wouldn't talk to me or she wouldn't do this or she wouldn't do that he might not even be telling the truth i just want to throw that out there as if you're an addict and you're listening and you're thinking well i tried to make restitution i want to ask you what did you do What did you do to make restitution? Did you say, even though I don't want to, I'm going to pay more than it requires or for child support or, you know, whatever it is, like, what actions did you take? Because restitution isn't just saying you're sorry. It's active actions to repair the damage that you've done. What would you say has been the hardest thing to give up? Have there been any specific thought processes or sort of entitled thinking that have been particularly difficult to give up?
1: (laughs) Well, my entitled thinking expands through my whole personality. Um, I would feel entitled to anything someone could feel entitled for. And I think I still run into that. I think that's still a struggle with Jen where I do become selfish. And when I'm not doing the things I'm supposed to be doing daily, there are signs that we see now where I'm starting to kind of head down the wrong path. And we can cut it off a lot earlier than before. But back to your question, I guess I just felt entitled to do what normal people can do and accept that I am an addict and there's just going to be things that I can't do. For instance, we went to Wreck-It Ralph 2 and it's a movie where it was a triggering movie and I tried to ignore it. I was sitting by Jen in the theater, our kids weren't there, it was just us. And she knew that what we were watching was triggering, but I sat there and didn't say anything because I couldn't bring myself to accept that I can't sit in a Disney movie. And I think that's been one of the hardest things is that just to accept that I'm going to be different than what quote unquote everyone else can get away with because it leads me down paths that i can't go down. So i think that's something i'd really s- still kind of struggle with here and there.
0: Jen, what has been your biggest fear in dating, John again?
2: I know how fragile it can be, how quickly it can turn and that mind shift can change and it can go back to the selfish and go right back to where it was. I just know how quickly. My biggest struggle has been just learning to take it one day at a time. To just wait and see And just let things play out. That's been my biggest struggle.
0: Yeah, because you guys are dating again. How long have you been dating now? Probably, what, like a year?
1: Yeah, it depends on how you define dating, (laughs) I guess.
0: Well, you're together. You're like boyfriend and girlfriend.
1: Yeah, it's probably been the last six to eight months.
0: Do you refer to each other as your boyfriend and girlfriend? Like, I didn't think about this. How do you refer to each other?
2: Or your ex-wife? No, I just say John. The people at my work just laugh about it because they don't know how to describe it either. And a lot of times what they'll just say, Jen's husband. They'll just use the term husband because it's just easier because you don't want to explain it. Another way that we use, we'd say the kid's dad. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: How often are you at the house now, John? What does the schedule look like?
1: I'm here daily. I spend as much time as possible with Jen and the kids. This is where I want to be. I still have my apartment, but I found that it feels a lot more lonely now than it did before we started dating again. And I just don't really like to be away from her or the kids.
0: Well, I pray that you will continue down this path. And that you guys can be a full-fledged family again someday whenever that feels right or whenever that happens or if it happens at all. You know, John, even though I've known you longer, that I am firmly on Team Jen, right?
1: I have no doubts.
0: (laughs) For our audience, there was this time where John called me and he was worried about Jen. And I said, I will figure this out for myself and for Jen, but not for you. Do you remember that conversation?
1: I do very well.
0: What did you think of that conversation back then?
1: I wasn't offended by what you said. I guess I kind of expected that rightfully so, you wouldn't have much trust in what I was calling you about. I hadn't not only like earned your trust, I had given you plenty of reasons to not trust that my intentions were totally pure and I didn't have something else going up my sleeve. So Yeah, I guess I don't have any strong feelings (laughs) one way or another.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was surprised that I was so blunt. I don't trust you. What you're saying is concerning me about Jen, but I will check on her separately and I'm not going to report back to you. That is my hope for all women here is that together that women can stop abuse through holding boundaries. And that men can realize how they have been abusive and make restitution and stop their abusive behaviors. So, in conclusion, John, is there anything that you'd like to share? If there are any men who are listening who are struggling with abusive behaviors or with making restitution, what have you learned that you'd like to share with them?
1: I think one of the biggest things I've learned is that pain that I saw when I was abusing Jen was real and that. It feels hard and you can feel like a victim when she needs to talk about it, but you can know that you're on the right path when you want her to talk about it and you want to be there for her. And just know that the memories of the situations, if you have different perspectives, hers is going to be correct every single time.
0: Is that one of the entitlements, John, that was hard to give up? Or how did you get to the point where you were willing to say, I'm going to trust and go with her reality rather than mine?
1: You know, they say that you kind of have to hit rock bottom before you turn. And that's what happened. I just hit a point And I don't know other than I realized that I had lost everything. in this road that I was headed down that I thought looked better was not better. It was way, way, way worse than I ever imagined. And I wanted off that path. And So I was willing to do anything to get off that path. And the path I wanted was to be with Jen and to have my family again. And so I said prayers and I just felt like it was time for me to listen and truly listen, not like just sit there and let her talk, but to stop worrying about what's happening inside of me when she's talking and just watch her face and listen to what's coming out of her heart and not even necessarily what's coming out of her mouth, but what she's trying to tell me. And that's really when it started to change. And it only took a couple of those conversations where it was kind of like being hit by a bus of, oh my goodness, this is way worse than I thought it was. And then it turned into almost a curiosity of how bad was it? And I think that's an ongoing conversation forever just to really grasp how bad it really, really got.
0: Hopefully things will continue to go well and 20 years out, instead of like, yo mama jokes, you'll be telling how bad was it jokes. It was so bad that, you know. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, I think there are some of those, you know, how bad was it that we kind of laugh about now a little bit because it's just so crazy. like It doesn't make any sense. And back then it did. I thought it did.
2: It didn't.
0: (laughs) Well, I am so glad to know you both. I'm really grateful that I saw you at UCAP. I'm really grateful that I... Know you personally, John. And perhaps we can check back with you in maybe a year and see how things are going again. And if they're going terrible, we could just maybe just have Jen on. But if it's going still well, then we could have you both on, right? If our listeners, sorry, I'm gonna cry again a little bit. If our listeners are the praying type, I just want to ask all of our listeners to just say a little prayer for John and Jen and their five children, that these changes can lead to permanent behavior changes and that you can be reunited with your family again sometime whenever that is right um i know that's what you both want and that's what all of us want and i'm i'm really grateful to know you so thank you so much for coming on today's episode thank you this is wonderful like i talked about last week We have partnered with an organization called Center for Peace that takes the betrayal trauma recovery approach to help men stop their abusive behaviors. Even though it is a hard road, at Center for Peace, the top priority is the victim's safety. It's not protecting him from his shame. It's not delving into the reasons why he does things. It's it doesn't matter why you do this. This abuse has to stop. Coach Joy from Betrayal Trauma Recovery also runs the Center for Peace program. If you are looking for a place that really takes the BTR approach for an abusive man, then check out Center for Peace. The website is CENFP.org. For those of you who donate to make this podcast possible, thank you. Every single recurring donation helps me continue to do this and bring this message of hope and safety to women all over the world. So go to our website, btr.org, scroll down to the bottom, click on make a donation and set your monthly recurring donation today. And if you haven't already and you're so inclined, please rate this podcast on iTunes. Every single one of your ratings helps isolated women find us. And until
2: next week, stay safe out there.